0: Shalom from Israel and thank you for joining us for this Torah study, which is called Hukat, which means statutes. My name is Hannah Nesher. I'm with Voice for Israel Ministries. And so this is a Messianic Jewish ministry that teaches the Jewish roots of the Christian faith. So I pray that you're going to be totally blessed by this Torah study as we Get into the Word of God. It has so much to teach us. God wants to speak a word to our hearts. And so I pray this will be a blessing to you and that the Holy Spirit, the Ruach HaKodesh, will speak a word to your heart through this study. Thank you for taking the time set apart to look into God's Word. We are starting today in the book of Numbers, which is in Hebrew called Bamidbar, it means in the wilderness. It's about the Israelites wilderness wandering, their journey through the wilderness has so many lessons to teach us. We're starting in the chapter 19 of the book of Numbers with a little bit of a strange um, commandment. Hukat means statutes or commandments. It's from this first line that the Lord spoke to Moses and Aaron saying, This is the ordinance of the law, the the statute of the law. It's called Zot Chukat HaTorah. Hukat is like ordinance or statute of the Torah. Law is such a bad translation of Torah. Torah is the word of God. Yeshua is the living word of God. It is um, God's instructions to us for a successful life. It's not just like... um, law law has such a negative connotation like wear your seatbelt or else you're gonna get a fine but the Torah is so beautiful and it has so much it's God speaking to us it's very supernatural and so the this is what God is commanding the people is to do something a little bit strange that even the rabbis don't really understand he's saying to bring a red heifer this is in Hebrew a para aduma a red heifer or female cow without blemish, in which there is no defect, on which a yoke has never come. And so this cow or para aduma, this red heifer is to be slaughtered by the Kohen, by the priest, and its blood sprinkled seven times in front of the tabernacle of meeting, and then it would be burned And it would be, um, they would put in some elements, some other elements into the fire, cedarwood, hyssop, and scarlet. Cast them into the middle of the fire, burning the heifer. And then the Kohen would have to wash his clothes afterwards and bathe in water. And he would be considered unclean. Now, when the Torah talks about uncleanness, it's talking about defilement spiritual defilement it's not like he's dirty but he's he's become spiritually defiled by by touching anybody who would touch anything dead would be spiritually defiled and then there needed to be a spiritual purification so a man who is pure it's called tahor so there's tahor and tameh tahor is pure tameh is defiled and this is really a big thing biblically, is the koanim, the, the priests of the Lord, are supposed to teach people the difference between tameh and tahor, between what is um, defiled what is and what is pure, what is holy and what is unholy, you know, what what makes us pure, what defiles us, and we're to teach people the difference, you know, what is between the clean and unclean, and God judged the cleaning because they didn't do a very good job of that. And so it says that the man who is clean or pure to heart would gather up the ashes of the heifer and store them outside the camp to be kept for the congregation for the waters of purification. It is for purification from sin so this is kind of a a mystery how do ashes from a red heifer that is without blemish without spot or blemish how do the ashes of that red heifer cleanse or purify a person spiritually from sin so the only way that this makes sense is if the only way that a lot of things in the Old Testament makes sense is if we see it fulfilled in the new in the new covenant through Yeshua, HaMashiach, the Messiah. So I want to go over to um, Hebrews, the book of Hebrews, chapter nine, verse 13. I'll just go over there and read that. And it makes reference to this red heifer. First of all, Yeshua was out, was was perfect. He was without spot or blemish he his he was um crucified outside the camp also and i'll just start in verse 11 it says the messiah came as a kohenagadol he's the he was the high priest the kohenagadol as well as the prophet he was the kohenagadol the high priest of the good things to come with the greater and more perfect tabernacle not made with hands that is not of this creation and it says in verse 12, not with the blood of bo- uh, goats and calves, but with his own blood, he entered the most holy place, the Kadosh HaKadoshim, once and for all, having obtained eternal redemption. So it was like only once a year, the Kohenagadol, Gadol, the high priest, could enter into this most holy place, the Kadosh HaKadoshim, to make atonement. For the people of Israel, this was on the day of atonement, Yom Kippur, Yom Kippurim. So it says that Yeshua entered not with the blood of goats and, and calves, but with his own blood, he entered into the holy of holies once and for all, having obtained for us eternal redemption. And in verse 13, it says, if the blood of bulls and goats and the ashes of a heifer, there it is. The ashes of the heifer sprinkling the unclean sanctifies for the purifying of the flesh. How much more shall the blood of Yeshua, the blood of Messiah, who the, who the eternal spirit offered himself without spot. He was out without spa or blemish. They found no fault in him, no sin in him. How much more will the blood of the Messiah, Yeshua, cleanse our conscience from dead works to serve the living God? I think this is so important. God promises that he is going to trade our ashes for beauty. He will give us beauty for ashes. And when there has been destruction in our life, when there's been the fires of destruction in our life so that all we're left with is ashes, God says that he will bring beauty of that. And you know, the ashes can also be used as fertilizer. I had a friend in the village where I lived, who we at that time had a fireplace because it would get um, really cold in the winter. The houses weren't heated. We were up high on a mountain and the wind would blow and the rain would come down. And so we'd light this wood-burning fireplace, which was just beautiful. But we'd have a lot of ashes from it. And she said, could I have your ashes? And I was like, sure, you can have my ashes, why? because she would put it on her garden, and then her garden would grow beautifully. It would be like a fertilizer. And so God can even use the ashes of our life from the fires of destruction to make it into something beautiful, to make something beautiful grow out of it. And oftentimes when we have sinned, when we have made mistakes, We're walking around with a guilty conscience. And this weighs us down and it keeps us separated from God. We don't feel worthy of coming to Him. We feel separated from God. And it says that the blood of Yeshua will cleanse our conscience. And that is so important that we don't need to keep walking around with this guilty conscience. We can know we are redeemed, we are free, we are forgiven. And we can approach the throne of grace boldly with confidence because Yeshua has made a new and a living way through his sacrifice. Through the blood of Yeshua, we can approach the throne of grace boldly anytime we need help. And says, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Messiah, Yeshua. So I want us to think about that. And about the ashes of the red heifer and how the blood of Yeshua cleanses us. Not only from sin, but also from the remembrance of sin. According to the new covenant, God says, I will forgive your sins and remember them no more. So God doesn't even remember them anymore. So why should we? Of course we're not to treat our sin flippantly we're not to just you know we we should try to make restitution if we can but when we have done what we can we need to accept god's forgiveness that he has you know as we do at the time of the fall feast and we throw breadcrumbs or rocks or seashells or something into a body of water just symbolizing that he says he has cast our sins in Micah chapter 7. He has cast our sins into the depths of the sea. So far has he taken our sins away from us as far as the east is from the west. So part of the blessing of being in Yeshua is knowing that our sins are forgiven and we can walk free Um without the burden, the heavy weight of a guilty conscience. It says to throw off every weight, every heavy thing that weighs us down and keeps us from running our race freely because God has a race for us to run and we're to finish our race with joy and we're to run freely. So let's understand this about the blood of Yeshua, that it cleanses us from all sin, that we can walk with a clear conscience. Amen. Amen. All right. And now in verse, in chapter 20, Miriam dies. She died there. Miriam was a great prophetess. She was Moses' sister, and she died there in the wilderness. If you remember last time we heard about Miriam, though, she had been struck with leprosy because she spoke against her brother, Moses, but Moses prayed for her, and she was, after a week, she was healed and taken back to the congregation, but it doesn't really say too much about them mourning for her or her burial, it just says she died and was buried, that's all which seems a bit strange for a woman who was so influential. You know, she led the women with tambourine and dance. They crossed the Red Sea and um, was really a great prophetess of of Israel. And so it seems like um, she wasn't really given her due as far as mourning over her death as were others. But then it goes on to say that there was no water for the congregation. And the people gathered together against Moses and Aaron and they contended with Moses. Okay, but the word used in Hebrew is vayarev. uh, la larive is to argue. It's to contend, to strive, to argue with somebody. It's about arguing. So the people contended or they argued with Moses and they spoke and they said, ah, if only we had died when our brethren died before the Lord, why have you brought us into this assembly of the Lord, into the wilderness, that we and our animals should die here? Uh, You know, they just completely, no matter what God did for them, they completely doubted God. They doubted his good intentions. They doubted his goodness. They doubted his power. They doubted his abilities to bring them through. They were still really had a slave victim mentality. And I think that this is our biggest challenge is not, you know, will God come through for us? And what can God do? It's about changing our mentality. You know, it says, be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind. And this is how we become transformed by knowing who we are in Messiah knowing who God is. And by, you know, it says, that they they grieved God's heart they made him actually furious they limited the holy one of israel and we need to know that God is completely unlimited and with God all things are possible and our challenge is just to believe our challenge is to to rid ourselves of the stinking thinking the the negative all the negativity in our mind all the doubts and all the fears that you know says oh we're going to die here we'll never make it we won't be able to do it and they said in verse five, why have you made us come out of Egypt to bring us to this evil place? <laughs> well, you know, why be, now, now as if it's like, Egypt was the good place and this is the evil place. And the thing is that God had no intention of leaving them in the wilderness. He was bringing them into a good land, a land of abundance, a land of milk and honey, of figs and vines and pomegranates, and just this overflowing abundance, streams and valleys and hills. But they had to go through the wilderness to get there. And they totally lost their vision. They they had this distorted um, thinking now. Now, looking back, they kept looking back and saying, you know, Egypt was all right. Egypt wasn't that bad, you know, but this is an evil place. Look, there's nothing here. They said, it's not a place of grain, not figs, not vines, not pomegranates, nor is there any water to drink. So they totally lost their vision they lost the destination the vision of where God was taking them and all they did was look around them like looking at the walls you know looking at the walls of our own pit you know and so I don't see anything here I don't see any of God's promises I don't see the healing I don't see the deliverance I don't see the the blessing I don't see the abundance instead of realizing God is taking us somewhere good we just have to have faith as we go through the wilderness and trust that God is working and God is taking us to this land of milk and honey honey, you know, to say, well, I don't see anything here. Well, we don't walk by sight. We walk by faith and not by sight. And so Moses and Aaron, they, they fell on their faces. They were interceding and the glory of the Lord appeared to them. And they said to him, speak to the rock and it will yield its water. And you can bring water for them out of the rock. You see, God can do anything. He can rain down manna from heaven. He can bring water out of a rock. He can speak through a donkey. I mean, God can do absolutely anything. He can make a 90-year-old woman have a baby. He can bring have a virgin to have a son and call his name Emmanuel. God can do whatever he wants to do. And so God says, I will bring water out of this rock. So you can give drink to the congregation and their animals. And so Moses took the rod from before the, the Lord. But instead of speaking to the rock, he struck the rock. And he said to them, must we bring water for you out of this rock? And then Moses lifted his hand. And he struck the rock twice with the rod. And yes, water did come out. But there was a heavy price for it. I can just see that Moses was just fed up. He was just, but I think that there was something underlying it, and I think that was the death of his sister. You know, in in when he says, look, you rebels, must we bring water out of this rock? The word there is the same word as Miriam. It's spelled, yes. spelled with the same letters, Mem, Reish, Yud, Mem, Sofit, for anybody who knows Hebrew. It's it's the exact same word, different vowels, but there are no vowels in the original scriptures. And so obviously I think Miriam, his sister was still on his mind and he was still grieving her death in his heart and maybe they didn't properly mourn her. Maybe he didn't have the time to properly mourn her. And I think this caused him to just lose his patience because he had a lot of patience with the children of Israel. He was always interceding for them. He'd been through the rebellion of Korach. He'd been through like so much with them. But in this instance, he lost his cool. He lost his patience and he struck the rock. And because of that, he lost his his destiny, his dream of bringing the children of Israel into the promised land. He would see it from afar, but he wouldn't go in. I think sometimes when we've got something underlying, when we've got something that we haven't dealt with uh, a grieving that we haven't properly gone through it, it'll affect us. And then we are going to be like, you know, our buttons are so easily pushed or we just snap or we just explode, you know, at the drop of a hat. And if, if that's happening, I think that we need to look at what is underlying it. I think sometimes we make the mistake of trying to move on from things too soon. I I talk a lot about, you know, don't look back. Don't stay stuck in the past. How long are you going to mourn for Saul? You know, remember Lot's wife. And I'm, I'm really good for like, don't remember the former things. Paul said, don't look back. But there is a time, I think, when we need, there is a period when we need to grieve through things. You know, I made the mistake of not really doing that when I, when my eldest son passed away and I think that was just my way of coping with it is I felt like, okay, just go on, you know, just go on with life. But then that is underlying it. And it eventually it needs to be dealt with and it needs to be properly grieved. And so also, you know, a lot of people I think wonder why did God judge Moses so harshly for losing his temper and striking the rock, instead of just speaking to it. And I think the reason is because the rock represented the Messiah. It's in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, just read this to you, where it says that um, all the people were under the cloud. They all went through the cloud and the, and the Red Sea. They all ate the same spiritual food. They drank the same spiritual drink. They drank of that spiritual rock that followed them, and that rock was the Messiah. So that rock represented the Messiah. Also, God is referred to as the rock, Tzuri, rock of Israel, Tzuri Israel. And it says that with most of the people, God was not well pleased with them when their bodies were scattered all over the wilderness. And this should be our example So we should not do the things that they did because these people never entered the promised land. It was God's will for them to enter the promised land, but they never did. And so we are to look at some of the things that they did as warnings to us, as examples to us that don't do, you know, some of the things I think some of the things in the Torah are like good examples to us, like to imitate Other things are warnings, like don't do what they did or you're going to end up as they ended up. And how did they end up? They ended up with their carcasses spread all over the wilderness and God was not pleased with them because of their lack of faith. And also because of this, they argued and they complained over everything. Instead of showing gratitude, instead of showing faith, all they did was argue and complain uh, the Lord spoke to Moses and Aaron said, because you did not believe me to hallow me in the eyes of the children of Israel, you shall not bring the assembly into the land which I have given them. That must have been a huge disappointment to Moses and Aaron. And so they called this place the waters of Meribah. Oh, the, the name of this is really significant because it combines two words. There is a word called mar, which means bitter. And there is a word called Reeve, which means argue. So this was a place of bitterness and argument. Meribah, the waters of Meribah, because the children of Israel argued, Ravu B'nai Israel. They argued with the Lord. You know, it doesn't even say that they argued with Moses, it says they argued with the Lord. And so they call this place the waters of. Miriba. i think we have to be very very careful about the waters of Miriba in our lives because this is these are the waters of bitter arguing of strife and one of the things we need to do if we want the blessing of god if we want to enjoy his blessings is we need to avoid strife and our world is full of strife everywhere you go oh my goodness you know just strife and arguing and maybe it's peculiar to israel it seems to be a land just full of strife between the religious and the secular Jews, the right wing, the left wing, the, the you know, the Arabs and the Bedouins and the Russians and the Israelis. And oh, my goodness, you know, sometimes you just want to put yourself in a bubble and just play like soaking worship music, you know, 24-7 and not ever go out. Because, but I, I believe we can have a peace that passes all understanding. Yeshua said, my peace I leave with you not like the world gives. The world gives us strife. Is full of strife and rebellion, but we can be at peace—a supernatural peace that passes all understanding. So right now, you know, I'm just putting my hands out, putting my hands up to the Lord Yeshua. We just receive your peace. We receive your peace. We receive the cleansing of the of the blood of Yeshua. We receive your peace right now, that we can walk in peace. One of the things I've been talking about a lot in these podcasts is how it says that we are to shine as bright lights in the midst of a darkness. We know that we're walking in the midst of a dark and and a crooked and perverse generation, but it says we are to shine as lights in the midst of it. And then it tells us how to shine as lights. It says, if we do all things without arguing or complaining, then you will shine. You'll be blameless and pure, shining as bright lights. And you know, it says the path of the just shines brighter and brighter until that perfect day so if we want to shine brighter and brighter let us be people of peace you know blessed are the peacemakers as much as depends on you live in peace with all people and i realize that that's not always possible it's not always easy and sometimes it's not even possible some people you just can't live in peace with it says whether the fool laughs or rages there is no peace for some people no matter what you do you know, they're just going to stir up strife. But that's one of the things that God hates. God hates someone who stirs up strife amongst brethren or causes division. And we talked about this in the last um, Torah study about Korach, and how he caused strife and, and rebellion and division. And that really just opens the door to the enemy. Opens the door for every evil thing, confusion and every evil thing. And if that is... um characterizing your life, I think that it's good to look and see if there has been strife and arguments. And as much as possible, we need to seek after peace. We Look to Abraham, who separated from Lot because he said, let there not be strife between us. You take whatever you want. You just take it. And, and I'll take whatever is left over because I just have to have peace. And And his son Isaac as well. He let the Philistines just take his father's wells. He just walked away, kept walking away because they argued with him there. They strove with him there is the word again, reeve. And at each one of the wells, he kept moving on until he found a place where he could have peace. Rehovot. A wide place, a broad place where the Lord made room for him, where he could be fruitful. And like, I'm not saying let everybody walk all over you and do whatever anybody says. My son... Um, I'll be in the army, Some often, well, often he says to me, mom, you gotta be more Israeli and don't let everybody do whatever they want. You know, like when people cut in in line, don't don't let them say, no, because Israel is notorious for just trying to get ahead of you in line, whether that's in traffic or just standing in line at the grocery store, and you kind of have to really stand your ground and, you know, not, so it doesn't mean being a friar, call it being here, being a friar, that means just being a pushover and let people take advantage of you. But we do need to walk in peace. We need to walk in peace. The Holy Spirit is like a dove that easily flies away. And so we need to establish shalom bayit, peace in our home, peace in our marriage, peace in our family, do whatever we can, humble ourselves, apologize, keep our mouth shut, whatever it is, so that we can have peace. Because this arguing and striving, especially that comes out of a bitterness um, is very, very destructive. But God also gives a remedy. So I want to talk that, talk about that now in part two. All right, so this is part two of Prashat Kukat. We are in numbers chapter 21. And so what's happened is that uh, the people of Israel, you know they're arguing at the water, they call it the waters of Meribah bitter arguing. We talked about that. And then they're trying to pass through the territory of Edom. In English, it's Edom. In Hebrew, it's Adom, which means red. And if you go back, you see that Esau, his nickname was Red, because he was born red and hairy, and because of the red stew. And so he was called Adam, Red. And he was the father of the Adamim. He was a father of the The red guys, the red, the red nation, the which is called the Edomites. So these are the descendants of Esau, and as you know, they were not very favorable to Jacob, and so they wanted to pass through their territory, and they said, "No, you shall not pass through." And Edom, Adom, refused to give Israel passage through the territory, so Israel just turned away from them. But what this meant was that they had to go the long way around. Not the first time they're going the long way around, but they had to go the long way around. And so it says in chapter 21, verse 4, they journeyed from Mount Hor by the way of the Red Sea. That's Yamsuf, the sea. It's actually not the Red Sea. It's the Sea of Reeds. To go around the land of Adon. They had to go all the way around. And then it says something interesting. It says that the soul of the people, the soul is the, the nefesh the soul of the people became very discouraged on the way. It was such a long journey that their soul became discouraged. But in Hebrew, the word is used is Vatik Katsar. Katsar means short. So what it means is they became short, they became Um, impatient. You know, one of the fruit of the Spirit is long-suffering. And in fact, Hebrew is such a cool language because it's got so many secrets hidden in it. The word for patience in Hebrew is savlanut. It has within it the word sevel, sin vet lamed, which means to suffer. So just having to be patient Means that we're going to suffer. We suffer when we have to be patient, you know. And it says, "Let patience have its perfect work." And it's not always easy to be patient, is it? I mean, the other day I just, I just, I can't remember what was going on. I just totally lost my patience in the car. (laughs) Somebody, okay, I'm not even going to tell you the story. But you know, we all lose our patience at times. But patience is Savlanu, it it involves suffering, (laughs) at least to suffer. And long suffering is a fruit of the spirit, but here the people were short suffering. Their soul became short, means it became impatient along the way. And so the people spoke against God and against Moses again, and they said, Why have you brought us up out of Egypt just to die in the wilderness? Again, just completely doubting God, doubting his ability, doubting his intentions, doubting his goodness. You've brought us here to die. There's no food here and no water. I mean, didn't God just prove that He can bring water out of the rock? But again, they doubt God, and He's and then they say, Our soul loathes or despises or hates. This worthless bread. What were they talking about? They were talking about manna, the manna that God sent from heaven. And in Hebrew, the word used for okay in English it says worthless bread, but in Hebrew the word is hitkal kel. So when you have something that goes bad, it goes rotten in the fridge or something is bad, it's past the, past the expire, expiration date. It uses this word kel. Or if there's some kind of a takala, a um, like a, uh, you say like a, like a technical problem, you know, can be like a takala. There's some kind of, there's a problem with it. And so it's saying that the manna was rotted. And they hated it. Wow. And this was God's provision for them. I want to read in Psalm 78, verse 23. Uh, We talked about this already where, where the people of Israel said, Can God provide bread? Can he provide meat? And the Lord was furious because they did not believe in God, did not trust in his salvation. And that says, verse 23, yet he had commanded the clouds above. He opened the doors of heaven and he rained down manna on them to eat, giving them the bread of heaven. Men ate angels' food and sent them food to the full. They were actually eating angels' food, and yet they were complaining about it. They said, we hate this disgusting, rotten, food and it was angels food. And so how ungrateful, just complaining how much God must have been grieved over their complaining. I also thinking how God must be grieved over our lack of gratitude and, and our complaining that we do over how he provides for us in our lives. And we still want something else. We want something different. We say, I can't stand this or that, you know, and Yeshua said that he is the true bread. He said, your fathers ate bread. They ate the manna in the desert and they died. He said, but he, he said, I am lechem chayim. I am the true bread that comes down from heaven. And whoever eats that bread will live forever. This is in uh, John 6, 41. He said, I am the bread that came down from heaven. And they said, isn't this Yeshua, whose father and mother we know, you know, the carpenter? But he says, most assuredly, verse 47, I say to you, he who believes in me has everlasting life, eternal life. I am the bread of life. Your fathers ate the manna in the wilderness, and they are dead. This is the bread that comes down from heaven that one may eat of it and not die. I am the living bread, Lechem Chaim, which came down from heaven. And if anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. And the bread that I give is my flesh, which I shall give for the life of the world. Do you know Yeshua was born in Bethlehem? But in Hebrew, it's Beit Lechem, which is the house of bread. told you Hebrew is such a cool language. All right, so we're going to go back to what happened. The people are complaining, they're fetching, they're ungrateful, they they despise um, the manna that God sent for them. And it says, So the Lord sent fiery serpents among the people, they bit the people, and many of the people died. So this is what happens when we complain, When we are ungrateful, when we are refuse to be content, Paul says, I have learned to be content in every situation. But when we refuse to be content and we argue and we complain about everything, um, this opens the door to the enemy. The fiery serpents represent um, that serpent in the garden, Hasatan, the enemy, the destroyer, the the enemy of our souls, the one who hates us and wants to steal, kill, and destroy. And when we complain, we actually... um, in a spiritual sense, we are opening the door to the enemy. So if the enemy is getting access to our life, we have to look at whether or not we have been ungrateful, whether we have been complaining about what God has given us and not been grateful. But God had a remedy for this. He said to Moses, because Moses prayed for the people. And so God said, it shall be that everyone who is bitten, when he looks at it, that is a fiery serpent that was set on a pole. Whoever looks at it shall live. And so Moses made a bronze serpent and he put it on the pole. And it was, if the serpent had bitten anyone, when he looked at the bronze serpent, he lived. Now this also, this is, this is like the red cow. This doesn't make any sense. How, how does somebody looking up, at the serpent that bit them how does that make them healed and whole well the only way of understanding this again is by seeing this through yeshua in the context of what he has done for us so i want to just turn to john so we all know that most famous scripture in the whole new testament for god so loved the world that he sent his only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. But do we realize that the verse just before that is talking about the bronze serpent on the pole? This is called in Hebrew the Nehushtan, And it says in verse 14, John 3, 14, and just as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so the Son of Man must be lifted up that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. So so this Moses lifting up this bronze serpent on a pole was really a foreshadow of Yeshua being lifted up on the pole, that whoever looks up at him will be healed of the sin in our life and we will find eternal life. We will live forever. Yeshua said this about himself. John 12, he says, John 12, 32, and I, if I am lifted up from the earth, will draw all peoples to myself. And this he said, signifying by what death he would die. So Yeshua knew that he was going to be crucified and lifted up on the pole. And by this, just like Moses lifting up, he knew he he was so steeped in the Torah and he knew the significance of Moses lifting up the bronze serpent, the Nehushtan lifting it up on the pole that whoever looked up at him would be saved, would be healed. So this is really amazing. And you just think, well, why why the snake on the, why the serpent on the pole? It's like fighting fire with fire. I was just listening to a story about um, a farmer in South Africa, a preacher, Angus Buchan, that was talking about how they had to build this firewall against the fire that was coming. And it was actually they, they were fighting fire with fire. And I think this is what they were doing here with the bronze serpent lifted up on the pole. And so I want to um, I want to conclude this Torah study with prayer. And also, just with this encouragement, so what, what do we do if we we can't complain and argue. We shouldn't complain and argue because that opens the door to the enemy. So what do we do instead? Well, the key is shown here. The people were wandering in the wilderness. They needed water. And it says in verse 16, they went to the air. The means a well. This is the well where the Lord said to Moses, gather the people together and I will give them water. How did the water come up in the desert? Israel sang this song. It was by singing. It was by praise. And they sang, spring up, O well, all of you sing to it. And they sang to the well. They sang praises to God. And this brought up the waters. And if we will, instead of complaining and arguing, if we will sing praises, Instead, this will bring up the living water that will refresh the, all the dryness, the, the pain, the loss, the impatience in our hearts. And the living water will bring that refreshing that we need when we sing, Spring up, oh well. Spring up, oh well, into my soul. Spring up, oh well, and make me whole. Spring up, oh well. And give to me that life abundantly. I've got a river of life flowing out of me. Makes the lame to walk and the blind to see. Opens prison doors, sets the captives free. I've got a river of life flowing out of me. Hallelujah. If we will sing and we will praise Instead of giving in to discouragement and complaining and arguing, then a river of living water will flow out of our belly to give refreshing, not just to ourselves, but to many, many others around us. And this is the will of God for us, that we be thankful in all things and that the praises, praise to God will be forever and continually in our mouth, as it says in Psalm 34. Amen, amen. Let's just close with prayer. thank you, Lord, for your word that just instructs us and teaches us in so many things. I pray that your anointing will cover this word and will speak to each and every heart who's listening. I thank you that you teach us what we need to know. And your Holy Spirit, your Ruach HaKodesh, brings to our remembrance everything that we need to think about. I pray, God, that our, our thoughts will become on whatever is pure and lovely and and holy and praiseworthy of good report, God, that we will stop thinking of all the negatives and that we will begin to count our blessings and think about how good you are and how much you have blessed us. Lord, I thank you that you're perfecting everything that concerns us, anything that needs to be changed in our lives. You are working behind the scenes to change that. So we thank you that we can trust in you. We can put our faith in you. We thank you that Yeshua has has finished the work on the cross, that we can walk free and redeemed and forgiven and run our race with joy in Yeshua's name, Oh God. Help us to be thankful, help us to be joyful, help us to be peaceful and shine as bright lights in the midst of a dark and perverse generation in which we live, Lord God. Use us, use us for your glory, don't pass us by, but I pray that for each one of us, that you will give all use all the gifts and the talents that you've given us to be bright and shining lights that will shine brighter and brighter until that perfect day we look to your coming lord we look up to you yeshua as you are raised up that whatever needs to be healed in us will be healed anything that has been um bitten by the fiery serpent anywhere we have received the venom of the serpent that has caused bitterness in our hearts, that has caused us perhaps to be argumentative or or bitter or contentious. God, would you heal us? We look to you. We look up to you, the author and the finisher of our faith. I pray, God, that you will be well-pleased with us as we keep our eyes set on you, as we keep the vision of where you are taking us, into a land of abundance, the land of milk and honey. We thank you, God, for giving us grace to walk by faith and not by sight as we go through this wilderness. Thank you for your goodness, your love, and your mercy. In Yeshua's name, amen. Amen, amen. Thank you for listening. May the Lord bless you and keep you and make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. Yevarechecha Adonai Thank you um, for sharing this podcast with others, following this podcast. You can go also to our website, voiceforisrael.net, to get all of these Torah studies. You can sign up so they come into your inbox every week and uh, share them with others. Thank you so much. Shalom from Israel.